are listening to Prosody Monstrosity. Today is January 15th, 2022. Welcome. Today's episode is about empathy. Empathy. Not Justin Trudeau saying the word embassy, like the embassy, the American consulate. No, it's not Justin Trudeau trying to say the word embassy. It's actually empathy. What is empathy? What is empathy? Today's episode is largely inspired by a doctor who Rainier Fulmich was interviewing. Rainier Fulmich is potentially the greatest hero of our times. I would say Rainier Fulmich is our only hope. He is the bright, shining, spirited son, a representative of truth and wisdom. He is a David fighting the Goliath doctor that he interviewed. I don't remember the doctor's name, but Rainier Fulmich is collecting all of the evidence that proves that there is a calculated mass murder being executed upon citizens and people all around the world. And Rainier Fulmich, if you're not familiar with who he is, look him up. His last name is spelled F-E-U-L-L-M-I-C-H. First name Rainier, R-E-I-N-E-R, Rainier Fulmich. Rainier Fulmich has been interviewing many, many doctors and compiling a massive amount of evidence proving a planned mass murder of people all around the world by the technocracy, by the ruling class, by the World Economic Forum, by Anthony Fauci, Bill Gates, Tudros, Joe Biden, Justin Trudeau, Angela Merkel, uh, on and on and on. The interview that inspired today's podcast, a little part came up in that interview within the data collection of all of the evidence of this psychopathic mass murder happening around the world. And one of the doctors that Rainier Fulmich is interviewing, he he became a bit of a notoriety or, or somewhat of a famous person recently, and I, I wish I could remember his name. Um, 
I, I will look it up in a moment and I'll put it in this podcast. Uh, he was talking about how we have entered an era where empathy does not exist. And that has been socially engineered into modern people, into this era of people. That empathy is no longer a quality that people have. And even engineered into the vaccines themselves is that agenda. And yet that agenda preceded it is something that has been being programmed out of us or removed from us, subtracted from humans. And this doctor was giving an example of the millions of people who have been injured by these vaccines, how there is zero empathy for the people who have been injured by these vaccines. I have shared with my listeners in the past that in 2004, I myself was severely, severely injured by vaccinations. It was mandated that I get the boosters and and updates for me being allowed to continue in the graduate program I was in. I was at New Mexico State University in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and it was mandated that I get vaccinated in order to go into the public school system. I was getting a graduate degree in education in order to teach middle schoolers And reluctantly, I walked into that health clinic with that de-optimized, dimmed down, depressed arm twisted behind my back, metaphorically. And I walked in there and I recall them giving me an update or a booster on the MMR, measles, mumps, rubella, And I don't know what else. I remember getting maybe three different injections that day. I feel like they gave me one dose out of two doses of one of the hepatitis shots, the MMR. And then I think um, they just checked my tuberculosis little injection that they do under the skin. And as I was walking to my car, which was parked about a quarter mile away from the health clinic, my legs began buckling and that began a nightmare that really to this day has never ended. The level of destruction I experienced from those vaccinations, the short version of the story is I very quickly learned that empathy... Empathy is a difficult thing to find when you are reduced to a paraplegic with kidney and liver failure, lung failure, nervous system failure. 
my eyes, my lungs, my whole electrical current, my heart, everything began failing me. And it took years and years and years to regain strength, to regain a quality of tensile strength in my tendons and muscles. For a long time, those vaccines caused a type of brittleness and almost like my tendons turned to chalk, where the slightest strain on a tendon would just cause them to rip and tear. And then the aftermath of excessive autoimmune reaction to those tears would then cause massive, massive swelling. And the the story is rather nightmarish because this went on for years and it was a story I was never ever really able to vocalize or express. I learned very quickly that there was nobody to talk to about being vaccine injured, that the gaslighting and the ignoring, I, I, I think I was very naive to people's faith in this concept of collective herd immunity and the social engineering of that collective herd mentality is in short a herd that has no empathy. In today's podcast, we're going to dive into the story of Moses from the Bible. We're going to talk about Moses, Egypt, the Hebrews, and Yahweh. And we're going to talk about a few current events and some spiritual truths and again these podcasts are unedited improvisational and I hope you enjoy here we go we're diving in It is many years since Joseph died, and things have happened that have made great changes for the children of Israel. They are still in Egypt, and the country is the same, but it has changed for them. They were happy in the land of Goshen while Joseph lived, and for some time thereafter, but now there was a king who, quote, knew not Joseph. He was not friendly to them. The Egyptians treated them as slaves and set them to hard work in the fields and at making brick and building. And now Pharaoh commanded 
that the baby boys among the children of Israel should be thrown into the river. Our picture shows us people making bricks in Egypt, mixing the soft mud with a little chopped straw and pressing it into a mold, and then drying the bricks in the hot sun. The taskmasters hurried the children of Israel in their work, not giving them straw, but requiring of them the full number of bricks. The children of Israel were in great trouble, and the Lord raised up for them a leader, Moses, who should bring them out of Egypt. Moses was a baby boy, a goodly child, and his mother loved him dearly. She hid him for three months. Then, when she could no longer hide him, she made a little basket of papyrus, tall reeds with plumy heads, which grew in the water's edge, and daubed it to keep the water out, and made a cover for the basket. Then she put the baby into the basket and laid it among the plants in the edge of the river at a place where the princess and her maids would come bathe. The baby's sister watched from a distance to see what would happen. Shall we call Miriam? For we know that Moses had a sister Miriam. The princess came to the river and saw the basket and sent her maid to fetch it. She opened the basket, and the baby cried. She was sorry for the baby. His sister asked if she might find someone to take care of him. The princess said yes, and she brought the baby's mother. So the boy grew in his mother's care, and afterward she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter to live, perhaps, at the palace and to be taught the wisdom of the Egyptians. The princess called him Moses, which means drawn out, because he was drawn out of the water. When Moses was a man, he left Egypt and came to the land of Midian. He had killed an Egyptian at his work. It became known, and Pharaoh wished to kill Moses. It was not safe for him in Egypt. The Midianites were shepherd people living off across the desert. Moses met the daughters of the priest of Midian at a well and helped them water their flocks. What is the spiritual meaning of the change in Egypt from a happy home to a place of bondage? Egypt always represents natural states, natural learning, worldly interests and pleasures. When these are enjoyed innocently and are made serviceable to spiritual life and are guided by a knowledge of the Lord's presence, then Joseph is ruler in Egypt and it is a happy home for Israel. But when worldly interests and pleasures are made the chief things and spiritual life languishes, then a king arises who knows not Joseph. The Egyptians become masters 
and the children of Israel are made slaves, and their children are destroyed. There is just this difference between following any worldly interest and enjoying any natural pleasure in the right or wrong way. A new leader, every leader of Israel taught them the Lord's will and represented the Lord in some way in which he may be known. Joseph represents a sense of the Lord's loving presence, which leads us safely in gentle and innocent states. When we grow willful and worldly interests and pleasures gain strong hold upon us, we need to know the Lord's presence in a sterner way. We must learn his commandments and laws and feel his power as we obey them. Moses stands for the divine commandments and all the word in which the Lord is presented with delivering and guiding power. Follow this thought into some of the particulars of the story. We have thought of stones used in buildings as representing sure facts on which we may safely rest our reasoning and our plans of life. And we have thought of bricks, which are made by people, as representing things not true, which an evil mind devises to justify and carry out its ends. Such falsities are represented by the bricks of Babel and of Egypt. The straw in the bricks is some small amount of truth or appearance of truth, perhaps from the letter of the word, which is mixed with falsehood to give it acceptance. But when an evil motive is desperate, it disregards even the appearance of truth in its falsehood. It makes bricks without straw. Bricks in scripture seem always to have a bad meaning, yet possibly they may also have a better meaning representing facts not necessarily so from the nature of things, but made so by convention and by custom, artificial, but not necessarily false or evil. Moses was put into an ark of rushes smeared with slime and pitch to save him from the Egyptians. It represents the protection of the Lord's word by the letter composed of very simple truths and partaking even of the imperfection of human thought and feeling that it might not be rejected but might come to people in a natural worldly state. The whole letter of the word is such an ark. The whole letter of the word is such an ark. It is interesting that papyrus, the same material on which the letter of the word was written, also formed the ark for Moses. Also, I must note that the word paper is where is is rooted in the word papyrus, paper, papyrus. Moses at the palace, kindly treated by the Egyptians, 
represents the word preserved by worldly people for its natural wisdom and beauty until it is seen to condemn the evil of their life. So Moses at the palace, kindly treated by the Egyptians, represents the word preserved by worldly people for its natural wisdom and beauty until it is seen to condemn the evil of their life. The shepherd people of Midian, far away from Egypt, represents those living in simple charity who are more willing to hear and obey the Lord's word than the learned. The word strengthens their good affections as Moses watered and kept the flock. Like a slave in Egypt, I am building a pyramid here for the Pharaoh. The pyramid that I'm trying to build is ultimately to reach Yahweh. And part of reaching Yahweh is through empathy. But as I was stating earlier, the doctor that Rainier Fulmich, the attorney Rainier Fulmich, was interviewing, building his case against this campaign of mass murder through coordinated vaccinations, essentially assassinating a swath of the citizenry through lethal jab juice, That doctor was saying we have entered an era where there is no more empathy. There's a person named Robert Kaplan. I'm not going to talk a lot about Robert Kaplan. He happened to write, I don't know, 29 books or something. And I was listening to an interview with him. And he was talking to the Center on Foreign Relations. I'm not I'm not a fan of of that organization or of Robert Kaplan's. But one thing Robert Kaplan said during this lecture he was giving, and the lecture had to do with how governments of today are similar to the Weimar Republic. The Weimar Republic existed in Germany from 1918 to 1923 and it suffered from all sorts of grave problems like hyperinflation and extremism and murders uh sorry the Weimar Republic lasted a little bit longer it was it was 19 It was about 1918 to 1933. And its most notable grave problem was hyperinflation. Uh, Just a, a total collapse of the economy. And Robert Kaplan is just doing a lecture 
as to how governments today are similar to the Weimar Republic. And one thing he happened to say in that lecture was that he says, quote, because if you kill children, you can kill millions. And the same people who killed a few children went on to kill a few million. In this lecture he gives, he gives a handful of examples of different governments throughout recent history, from Russia to Iran to Germany to nation after nation, government after government, where children were murdered and then millions of people following those murders of children took place. And once again, he says, because if you can kill children, you can kill millions. And the same people who killed a few children went on to kill a few million. So the story of Moses inspired this podcast, but this podcast is really inspired by Yahweh. And again, I'm like a slave right now in Egypt trying to build a pyramid to reappropriate our empathy to get us to Yahweh. Pharaoh commanded that the baby boys among the children of Israel should be thrown into the river. So here we have a king, a government official, a leader, commanding the murder of babies. Many people right now are turning a blind eye to the atrocities that governments are committing on children around the world right now. Last year at this time, we saw a essentially an abduction of 24,000 children in Australia where the parents of those children were not allowed to be present. And there was a mass calling a mass vaccination of 24,000 Australian children inside a sports stadium where none of the parents were allowed inside that stadium. And the evidence of deaths and disease and severe injuries that followed that kidnapping has been hidden, buried, ignored, censored, banned. People who talk about it have been imprisoned, incarcerated. Parents who lost children to death from that mass vaccination have been silenced and threatened with incarceration and with losing custody of their other children. That's just one example of a continuation of history repeating itself, literally. So we look at Pharaoh issuing a mandate that the children of Israel, the boys, be murdered. 
what follows such decrees and mandates escalates into the murder of millions. The concern, the face-palming, mind-boggling, make-this-make-sense, baffling nature to all of this is the lack of nature. Animals, animals have empathy. We see empathy running strong through the largest elephants. We see empathy even through the tiniest ants. Empathy runs naturally through the natural kingdom, through God's kingdom. How is it, why is it that children of Australia a year ago being experimented on garnishes no empathy from the global citizenry of human animals? How is it that I personally, when I was severely vaccine injured, very quickly learned that even amongst my closest friends and family and quote-unquote support system, that finding empathy was rare. I had a few people who got it, who understood it. And beyond that, it was an impossibility. It was an experience of the opposite, of something so cold and gaslighting before I even knew what gaslighting was. The, the sheer lack of empathy is an absolute mind-boggling thing. So how do we, how do we get that quality? How do we get that connection to that inherent natural two-way river of feeling and what is empathy let's just talk for a bit about empathy in order to reconnect us to it is my hope in order to regrow something that has been severed amputated castrated cut off circumcised, murdered, mandated out of existence. How do we regrow, nourish empathy into something that is naturally occurring in us human animals so that we can be harmonious with being part of this natural kingdom. What is empathy? What is empathy? What is empathy to you? What is empathy?
empathy, empathy, the M means in, and the pathy part, empathy, the pathy is from pathos, which means feeling, in feeling, empathy, empathy is rooted to in feeling. Yahweh, Yahweh. Yahweh is the name of God. And it is said that Moses taught the children of Israel the name of God. This is in the book in the Bible called Exodus, which is one of the books of Moses. The name Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, it is known as the Tetragrammaton, the Tetragrammaton. The word Yahweh is interesting, Yahweh, saying it into this microphone without without so much uh, breath, I could just whisper it. Yahweh is very breathy. It's very breathy. There is no vowels in the ancient Hebrew alphabet. There are no vowels in the ancient Hebrew alphabet. Only consonants. Yahweh is almost like a way, a a roundabout way, to express vowel sounds in an alphabet where there were no vowels. Yahweh. Yahweh. And it's very breathy. When you take a deep dive into the meaning of Yahweh, there are... Well, beautifully, there's no... Really, nobody agrees on the meaning or the etymology of Yahweh. There's there's arguing and there are disagreements. There's not necessarily an agreement. Some of what some people agree upon is the the breath quality. So let's just <clears throat> rewind to one of the layers of this pyramid that I'm building as a slave in Egypt right now to empathy. Empathy is in feeling, in feeling. So Yahweh is a very breath, it's a very breath, breathy word. And the hua, hua sound, the word Yahweh consists of a yod, a he, a wa, and a he. And each of those, especially the he, the wa, and the he, they're very breathy. Empathy is an in-feeling. So I'm bridging Yahweh and empathy 
together that of course the thing that links us together our material to our spirit body is our breath the fact that Yahweh was a taboo it was a word that paradoxically people were not allowed to say it was such a sacred word that you weren't really supposed to say it it was taboo so to try to explain Yahweh there really is no way to put Yahweh into words because Yahweh if you look at the ancient Hebrew words for wind spirit and breath the ancient Hebrew word for wind spirit and breath it's the same word so in ancient Hebrew wind spirit and breath are the same word and that's really where Yahweh comes from is wind, spirit, breath. How does one even talk about spirit? Spirit, these words I'm using are material. These words are from material. So to talk about Yahweh is in some ways an impossibility. So part of talking about Yahweh as a bridge to empathy, there's almost an impossibility there to try to regrow something that's been amputated. If your leg got cut off, can you regrow a leg? Can we regrow our connection to Yahweh, can we regrow our empathy? Since we are talking about the Weimar Republic and Germany, and in previous podcasts, I've talked about how the Bible was first printed on the printing press in Germany and how that radically changed even the physiology of the human brain when humans began reading and writing on mass. When reading became accessible to everyone, that was the most radical physiological change the brain, the human brain, has ever gone through. So let's just talk about Germany for a minute, because Germany keeps coming up. Well, the word for empathy in German, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, I don't speak German, but the word in German is Einfühlung, Einfühlung. Einfühlung is empathy. And the last four letters of that word for empathy in German is Lung, Lung, like the lung, Einfühlung. When you trace 
and track the origin of the word lung, well, the origin of the word lung, when you track it, goes to the light organ. Light, L-I-G-H-T, light. The light organ. So empathy in German is Einfühlung, which has the word lung in it. And then when you look at the word lung, which is how we breathe with our lungs, lung roots back to the light organ. Yahweh. Yahweh is being. Yahweh is breath. Yahweh is the whole circle of feelings. Inhale, exhale. This might sound funny on this audio, but try saying Yahweh, 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 Yahweh. Exhale on your Yah, inhale on your way. Yahweh, Yahweh. Yahweh. Try it. Exhale on your Yah. Yah. Inhale. Yahweh. Yahweh is the whole circle of feelings. Empathy is in feeling. Empathy literally means in feeling. Let's leap over towards Sanskrit, towards Indian and China. India, China region, and let's talk about the word Om. 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 We hear people meditating in yoga classes and Tibetan monasteries saying the word Om. Om is, well, they call it the unstruck sound. So if a consonant, I'm comparing Om with Yahweh. Aum basically means, or they, they describe it as the unstruck sound, the unstruck sound. So if you think of striking a gong or striking a bell or striking a Tibetan bowl, it's the unstruck sound, the unstruck sound. It's almost like Yahweh, like we don't, we don't say Yahweh. Aum is, is the unstruck sound. But it's also said to be all of the sounds. But you go through all of the vowels. So Aum is basically A-E-I-O-U, Aum. And then you close it with the the Aum. So it's going through all the vowels. So Aum is all of the vowels. Yahweh was a way to express vowels and not consonants. If you go to that emerald in the middle of the Pacific Ocean called Hawaii, Hawaii, you'll learn the word haole, haole, haole. Haole, again, is a word that people don't quite know its origins, 
And there's some arguments and disagreements on what it really means. But it seems the general consensus is that Haoli means one who lacks breath. One who lacks breath. Haoli is one who lacks breath. Yahweh is breath. Aum is breath. Hauli is one who lacks breath. Current event. A person we hear almost every day in our news feed. And you have to wonder why. Why is this person placed on a podium, given the microphone, given the pedestal, given free reign to be launching missiles into the sky Elon Musk a real quick quote from Elon Musk this is a direct quote he says in artificial intelligence we are summoning the demon in artificial intelligence we are summoning the demon there's that part in the story we just told from Moses about the bricks. The things that humans build different from the stones. The bricks, some of the bricks have straw embedded in them and the straw was putting a little bit of truth inside something that is not necessarily good for us. The bricks might be a lie. The bricks might be something very evil. The bricks might be something hubristic, arrogant, bad. But they're sold to us like they're something good. Elon Musk seems to be a brick sometimes a brick with straw. The things he's doing seem to be bricks, some of them just bricks without straw. All of the artificial intelligence that... And direct quote from him, in artificial intelligence, we are summoning the demon. We have thought of stones used in buildings as representing sure facts on which we may safely rest our reasoning and our plans of life. And we have thought of bricks, which are made by people, as representing things not true, which an evil mind devises to justify and carry out its ends. Such falsities are represented by the bricks of Babel and of Egypt. The straw in the bricks is some small amount of truth or appearance of truth, perhaps from the letter of the word, which is mixed with falsehood to give it acceptance. But when an evil motive is desperate, it 
disregards even the appearance of truth in its falsehood. It makes bricks without straw. Bricks in scripture seem always to have a bad meaning. Elon Musk. Let's just talk about Elon Musk a year or two, three years ago. Maybe it was a year and a half ago. Somewhere in the recent modern history, Joe Rogan hosted Elon Musk. And there was a moment where a big cannabis, a giant marijuana cannabis joint was rolled and consumed. Elon Musk smoked cannabis while drinking alcohol. And there also was a flamethrower before or after that episode. Elon Musk going on to Joe Rogan. There's something like that brick with straw. Cannabis, cannabis is a natural growing flower, a flower bud, a extremely medicinal, even the word medicinal is annoying. We might call it a nutrient, a vitamin, a something that has been part of religions and spirituality and healing. It's the most powerful anti-inflammatory and what do all diseases have in common? What is the common denominator in all disease? Inflammation. Inflammation is the common denominator in all disease. Cannabis is by fact, by the stones, not the bricks, the sheer fact, the stones God made the stones. Man makes bricks. God made the cannabis. These things that God makes, not man makes. Nature, God makes stones, makes the cannabis. The cannabis is the most powerful anti-inflammatory. And the common denominator in all disease is inflammation. It's also a non-toxic anti-inflammatory. You can't OD on it. It's not going to kill you. It's not going to toxify you. There's other very powerful anti-inflammatories like thyme oil, oil of thyme from the herb thyme. Some pronounce it thyme, thyme oil. Thyme oil is also a very, very powerful anti-inflammatory, but it's very volatile. It'll burn your skin. Cannabis oil will not burn you. It's not volatile. It's not toxic. It's not going to burn you. Garlic is a powerful medicine. In Chinese medicine, garlic is called a knife. It'll slice you and dice you. It's powerful. It'll burn your skin. The oil of garlic, if you leave a little slice of garlic on your skin, it'll burn you. It's volatile. It'll burn your stomach lining. Cannabis is not volatile. It's gentle. It's the it's the most gentle anti-inflammatory known to cure inflammation. It's the best cure for inflammation across the board. And science, it's hilarious to even have to mention the science regarding cannabis. Cannabis far, far, far precedes 
white lab coat butchers butchering knowledge, building bricks, and sometimes putting straw in those bricks. My point here is Elon Musk goes on to the Joe Rogan show and they smoke cannabis together on the show. And it's almost like a moment on that show where a brick a brick is mushing some straw into that brick. The cannabis is like the straw. The cannabis is the grass. It's the truth. And it's it's a way to make the brick, the falsity, acceptable to the masses. Like the masses of people, because cannabis is popular, it's trendy, it's recreationalized, it's consumed by masses of people. It's been industrialized. There are dispensaries. It is glorified. It is pedestalized. And it's worshipped. It's revered. For good reason by some, but it's been industrialized to the point of being perverted. Be that as it may, it's still revered and pedestalized. So Elon Musk smoking a joint on Joe Rogan's show is like putting some grass, literally grass, in the brick. So you got this brickhead, Elon Musk, smoking cannabis. And that is it's a it's a way to make the falsity not look like falsity. And that moment in history is just one moment that propagandizes the public to consume falsity and believe its truth. So a lot of people have this belief that Elon Musk is somehow a good person. They see that Fauci is bad and that Gates is bad and that Zuckerberg is bad. And then there's this odd cognitive disconnect where, oh, but Elon Musk is good. But a direct quote from Elon Musk is, with artificial intelligence, we are summoning the demon. What is a demon? A demon is a supernatural entity, typically associated with evil. A society without empathy. A society without empathy is an evil society. The word sin, if you track and trace the word sin, sin has its origins in without God. Without God. When you hear someone like George Soros say that he doesn't believe in God, It's concerning. Without God means to sin. This 
artificially intelligent civilization, this artificially intelligent society. There are a lot of human animals walking around with a lot of smarts. People who are computer programmers and doctors and engineers who have a lot of smarts. But the difference between intelligence and smarts, artificial intelligence lacks empathy. Artificial intelligence might look like it's intelligent, but it's not intelligent. It might actually be more like a smart scientist. There's plenty of smart scientists who have no empathy. One of the things we have to talk about with Trust the Science is that scientists are brainwashed, indoctrinated, taught, programmed. To be a good scientist, you have to not have empathy. In order to put beagle heads inside cages and netting and have flesh-eating flies eat the flesh off those beagle heads after having scientifically cut the vocal cords of those beagles so that no one would have to hear their screaming. That is science. Science is... Modern science is taught to not have empathy, to not have feelings. So when we're talking about trust the science, trust the science, it's a it's a euphemism for don't have empathy. We all know Pavlov, the famous ring the bell, ring the bell, ring the bell. Pavlov, who is famous for creating a saliva reaction with dogs by feeding the dogs, preceding their feedings by ringing a bell and then removing the food ringing the bell and then showing that a dog will salivate without food, that the salivation can be triggered from a bell instead of the food. Well, that's odd that we know Pavlov for that scientific study. Lenin hired, Lenin tasked Pavlov with one initiative, and that initiative was to socially engineer a society without empathy. That's what Pavlov was tasked to do, was to find a way to socially engineer empathy out of a society. Empathy is in feeling. Empathy isn't words. Empathy isn't thoughts. Empathy is in feeling. Empathy is feeling. Taking a deep breath into the lungs and diaphragm is, is infused with inherentness in its feeling, its felt sense. It's not a thought. It's not a word. Take a deep breath in. A friend of mine, he's a barista. He was saying that he and his girlfriend are trying to have empathy for the people that want him and his girlfriend to die. The people who are not 
taking the lethal jab juice from the most criminal organization of all criminals organizations, Pfizer. Pfizer has paid more criminal fines than any other organization on planet. (laughs) Why would a person who has any feeling or empathy take a criminal organization's concoction and allow it to be injected in themselves? Where even the ingredients are not known because of the Emergency Use Act, the ingredients are obscured. Nobody knows the ingredients of what they're injecting into themselves because of the Emergency Use Act. It's just a mystery. Why would anyone take that kind of cult-like faith? Remember, a cult, a cult member is defined by someone who has unquestioning and unyielding faith in an authority or in the objects or things that the authority tells them to do. The objects and things, masks, vaccines. These cult members that have that unquestioning, unyielding faith do want the non-vaccinated to die. And we hear it and see it in the supremacist movement every day in the news and on the TV. In Austria, there are now monetary fines every month if you're not vaccinated. Germany, Australia, Canada, these countries are passing monetary fines and they are steep fines. So the vaccinated want the non-vaccinated to die. And my friend who's a barista was saying that he and his girlfriend keep having this conversation of living in this community surrounded by vax supremacists who want him and his girlfriend to die. How did they maintain their empathy for the people that are trying and wanting them to die? How did they themselves maintain that empathy? He said to me, how do I, he was talking about himself, but he said, how when he's talking with them and he he sees and hears their hatred and that they do want him to die, how does he take a step back and manage his very natural anger response? One should have that feeling of anger. Anger is a very foundational feeling. Rage is something else. Anger is the most foundational, rooted feeling. It's the first emotion. If someone wants to harm you, kill you, coerce you, intimidate you, if someone wants you to die, you should feel angry about that. He was saying, how does he manage that anger? How does he take a step back? When he said that to me, what I hear is, how does he take a a step back and take a deep breath? Yahweh, Om. Howley. How does he not be a Howley? How does he be someone who's not lacking breath? How does he have that in feeling? That's my one recommendation if you were to walk away with one thing from today's podcast is to take a big deep breath. Feel that breath. Take a big deep breath. The other thing my friend who's a barista was mentioning was How can one have empathy for another when one can't see the other's face? The the actual physical covering of the mouth and nose, if in feeling 
is really about inhaling, about breathing, breath. If in feeling is what empathy is, in German, Einfühlung, Einfühlung, which has the word lung in it, is if empathy is directly connected to the breath, to taking a step back, taking a step back and taking a big breath. Pause, breathe, inhale, feel. Feel. Take a big breath, feel. If empathy is really about that in feeling, it's being physically cut off from each other's mouths and noses. It's it's a it's a physical act. You have to remember that Lenin was tasked to engineer a society without empathy. And here we are with literally millions of people injured by these vaccines. The VAERS report, the vaccine injury reporting site called VAERS, it said that over 20,000 people have died from the vaccine, but Harvard University says that number represents less than 0.01%. Sorry, less than 1%. Less than 1%, I correct myself. Harvard University says the number on VAERS of the reported deaths represents less than 1%. So you'd have to multiply that 20,000 by another, another 99%. Basically, you have to add another two zeros on 20,000. So if you're looking at that VAERS report and doing the math, it's reasonable, according to Harvard University and VAERS, the vaccine injury reporting site, it's reasonable to say that 2 million people have died from the vaccines. And Rainier Fulmich who's compiling this evidence by interviewing doctors all around the world, says he has the smoking gun and he's going to release all this information to the public very soon and allow the public to be the jury, that he has all the evidence to show that it is a campaign of mass murder. And the concerning thing is the complete lack of empathy to the people that have been injured who are still alive but have been severely injured. Now, when I was severely injured by vaccines, that was in 2004. I recognized in 2004 people had no empathy for what I was going through. They didn't have feelings. They had thoughts. They were able to gaslight. You could see if they did have feelings, the only feeling they had was discomfort or or rage. They didn't want to hear it. They would censor and ostracize you. And now it's a censoring and ostracizing on a grand scale because the people who have been injured 
are banned, ostracized, silenced. They're not allowed to tell their story on these social media platforms. There is no representation in the media or from government officials. There will be when someone like Dr. Sorry, someone like Rainier Fulmich provides the public with the evidence. And we do have to just put Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s name as one of the heroes who has been trying to educate people about how harmful vaccines are for decades now, and nobody wants to listen. And the problem has to do with empathy. So there's almost like an artificial intelligent version of not very intelligent humans. People that have incredible skills operating software on a computer or working for Apple or Google. Incredible smarts, but no empathy. Intelligence, if you really look at intelligence, intelligence has to do with having a good feeling, compass, felt sense, able to listen to your gut, able to know the difference between a brick and a stone, between medicine you can trust and medicine you should distrust. That's not intelligence. That's ignorance. I don't know. I... I'm feeling incredibly frustrated, angry, annoyed, upset, disgusted, freaked out. It's, it's, it's feelings upon feelings. We are truly in a World War III, and it is a war of attrition by the very definition of war of attrition. This war of attrition is kind of like a slow, psychopathic, experience because it's so many different fronts. A war of attrition is to really kill the morale of a people. And it's done so without bullets, without blitzkrieg, without bombs. It's it's on the morale of the people to crush the spirit, to crush the breath. I want to just I could talk for another 10 hours on today's podcast because how do we grow this thing called empathy that has been socially engineered and that history is hard to wrap up. I mentioned Pavlov. You can take a deep dive into how Pavlov was tasked to socially engineer empathy out of people. How is it that 2 million people Very reasonably, this is not bricks I'm throwing at you. These are rocks. This is according to VAERS and Harvard University. If you add up the numbers, this is based in stones, facts. It's very possible 2 million people have died from a direct result from this lethal jab juice. One piece of evidence that Rainier Fulmich is going to be presenting to the public is that 100% of the deaths are from 6% of the batches of lethal jab juice. And that's why it is embedded in a way that people aren't seeing it. 
because not everyone who's getting that Pfizer injection is getting a lethal dose. But very possibly 2 million people have gotten a lethal dose. And there's no empathy. And the ones who've been injured, there's no empathy. And part of this process of continuing to socially engineer empathy out of us is the censoring, the banning, the silencing, the ostracizing, the masks which hide our facial expression. It is said that in the most ancient kingdoms, humans did not need to use words. They could just breathe and be connected to Yahweh without expelling all of their words. Because communication happened via facial expressions. The whole, the entirety of communication was through the facial expression. That, that's what and how people used to communicate was through the expression of the face. That's cut off with these masks. The people perpetuating the most evil crimes, the police in places like Australia that are rounding up 24,000 children into stadiums and literally experimenting on them, those police are all wearing masks. Prior to all the masks, they would have been outed through social media. Their addresses would have been posted. So these criminals, these banditos, are able to literally get away with murder because no one can see who's doing it. That's contributing to the lack of empathy. When someone asks you to put a mask on or asks you why you won't get vaccinated, vaccinated the, the fact that you even have to waste your breath and lose your breath and spit out these continent, consonants and syllables and be a howly, someone who lacks breath, the second you have to explain yourself to someone and the sheer idiocracy that you would have to fill out some paperwork and write this spell down on some papyrus to beg the king for a religious exemption. You don't need an exemption. You're exempt from exemptions. You're an animal breathing. You don't need to write some exemption. And the fact that some other person needs you to do that for some reason shows that they don't have empathy. They don't have feeling. They're needing it to be on a piece of paper and they're needing it approved by the king. None of that has to do with empathy. How do we regrow this thing back called empathy? I don't even think the people are angry enough. It's, 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 it's odd to me that these psychopaths are literally being... It's like a mass psychosis where, ironically, our own humanitarianism allows these psychopaths to just roam free among us being psychopathic. And that's not empathetic. Empath empathy would be being angry about it and actually having that feeling of anger. How is it that we're not angry that 24,000 children in Australia were experimented on a year ago and that that's spreading 
throughout Canada, the United States, throughout Europe. The light organ, the light organ, when you really root track the word the lung, it's the light organ. I'm going to take a big breath into my light organ because I'm mad about this and I don't know how to spread empathy in others that don't have it, that are living like artificially intelligent reptiles. But the empathy has been socially engineered out of us a long time ago. And it seems like It just seems really rare to find empathy in other people. This concludes today's podcast. There will be more.